welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 704. Now we're recording this on September the 13th, primarily because we have quite a lot of news that's broken and a couple of quite exciting race weekends in superbikes to talk about. So we're joining you a little bit out of sync because normally we would have been recording a show following this weekend's Aragon race, but delighted to say I'm joined as always by Jim McDowell over in the US. So first of all, Jim, how's your day going? (laughs) <laughs> it's been a wild one. First, I'm remiss in the fact that I've been overwhelmed at work for the past few days. So I haven't, I've avoided myself of news and things that have been going on. So to hear and find that some of the really cool news that has happened has uh, is exciting. So can't wait to do that. But on a personal note, the drive to work this morning was rather auspicious, I guess is the word you look for. Good one. They had, yeah, thank you. I have a Honda Civic Type R. I love Hondas. Very cool car. I love that car. But the two front continental tires on it decided to delaminate this morning at interstate speeds. It was not fun. It was one of those things where like if you're on a bike and you got that really bad wobble, you know you got to breathe let go of the bars and you push out and it makes everything better. I'm trying to figure out like, how do you breathe and push out on the steering wheel to make everything better? But uh, yeah, the tires are delaminated. If you follow my Instagram at Moto RGV, there are pictures of the two tires in their delaminated states. Uh, yeah. Really fun morning. So. Yeah. Take a look. And if anybody's got similar experiences, I'm sure Jim will be keen to uh, hear about that because this will be a bit of a battle, I guess, to get this problem solved. Yeah. It's going to take some doing, I think, to get something out of it. But Anyway, at least now you don't have to worry about actually going back to this original Continental Tire. They've now got enough people who are making tires for that. So there are Bridgestones that are available for my car, and I have never had a problem with a Bridgestone tire. So more than likely, there's going to be four new Bridgestones on the car here. There we go. Now, as we say, we're heading into a pretty hectic six to eight week period of racing. And in particular with MotoGP, we've got starting this weekend, Aragon, and then we're back to back for three successive weekends. So Aragon, Mategi, and then the Chang International Circuit in Thailand. Plus, we've got some World Superbike and some British Superbike going in there. Plus, the Moto America will conclude towards the end of September, Jim. So we'll pick up on yeah. that shortly so we just figured that because of the amount of news and because it's going to be pretty hectic over the next few weeks worth just doing a quick pre-aragon show today so that we don't have to rattle through the news which will be a little bit old hat by the time we get to next tuesday i suspect anyway so not going to spend too much time on the housekeeping bit of tin rattling you know where to go uh, please head over to the uh, motopod website a quick shout out to keith kovach and to nick saban thanks guys always appreciated and just on a separate note, uh, we had a quick email in from Justin Beeling. I hope I've pronounced that right, Justin, earlier today, because all the way back on episode 697, Jim and I were discussing the problems that you sometimes face when you open up the Dorna app or link on your TV, and it kind of presents you with the news page, and you're sometimes at risk of seeing results. So Justin sent in some notes, Jim, I guess that's more for you, because I think that was a Fire TV thing. has got a bit of advice on settings, so uh, I'll let you pick that one up and we'll see if that works. Yeah, we'll try. We'll see what happens. With all that being said, I'm really keen just to jump straight into the news. And although I'd actually arranged to do this with Jim earlier in the day, about an hour later, the really big one dropped in from Dorna. Mark Marquez returns to full race action at Aragon this weekend. Now... Jim, we speculated on this in the last show, didn't we? (laughs) We did. I felt it was quite likely, particularly that this is a track that goes in the direction that might be a little better suited to Mark. So whether this is a tentative toe back into the water and he might elect to sit out Mategi in Thailand or, you know, the flyaways, don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm shocked that he would. I mean, if you look at what he did at Mazzano, that was amazing to be a half second off, be the fastest Honda rider. 
He did 39 laps on the first day, which all of them were done before the lunch break. I mean, there was some video that showed him like soaking his arm in cold water, some kind of a tub. Yeah. He came back the next day. He did 69 laps, but the longest continuous run that he did was seven consecutive laps. Mm. Aragon is a 22, 25, I think, lap race. It's somewhere. It's in the 20s. Yeah. Going to be a challenge. It's going the proper direction. It's going anti-clockwise. So that's going to make it good for him because he's not going to have to use his right shoulder as much. I'm shocked that he's going. I'm pleased that he's going because at least it feels like he can compete again, which I think is a big thing. I'm wondering if he's going to treat this more like a test session that he's going to go out and do seven to 10 laps, come in, maybe make some changes to the bike, run seven or 10 more laps to see if they can find a direction or setting something for the bike. But I think both you and I know that as much as what I think that's what he should do, that's not what he's going to do. I think the kid's just going to go for it. Well, that's the race of mentality, isn't it? Yeah. I I think we've seen from Mark Marquez in the past that he doesn't necessarily have that restraint chip fully engaged all the time. I guess it will depend how he gets on through the practice sessions as to whether he just finds that the fatigue is too much or perhaps that the pain starts to come in i mean let's hope you know there aren't any tumbles off the bike but again that's not really the mark marquez way so i'm a little bit concerned i must say and i'm quite surprised like you are although i was kind of expecting that this was going to happen with a degree of trepidation i suppose so I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, he has no reason to race in terms of there's nothing to fight for in a championship sense. I suppose there's some feedback and bike development work he can assist HRC with over the course of the weekend. But is he then going to go on to the flyaway races? I mean, three weekends in succession, that is a big old ass for a guy that's been out for as long as he has and is still let's say, recovering to some extent. I mean, I don't know percentage-wise how fit he is, but let's say perhaps 70 80%. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit worried, but excited at the same time, which is a bit of a conflicted and contrary position to take, but it's kind of just how I feel. Yeah, I feel the same way. Marquez is, has the incredibly rare talent of being able to disengage his brain and just go. I mean, it's amazing. Like Everything that he's been through, and he still is as fast as he was. Like, none of that has tempered him at all. Yeah. You know, I can speak only from myself, man. I mean, I know if you fell off at a club weekend, Monday going to work, that started to hurt, especially when I got to be 26, 27 years old. It was, it hurt. It didn't feel yeah. good. So, again, this is one of the, the points of admiration I have for Rossi was the fact he was in his 40s and doing this at a world level, which is just crazy to think. Um, you could same could be said about Josh Hayes after, and we'll come to that in Moto America, but some yeah. you know it, it's the same vein to me. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the only thing I suppose that Mark has said that kind of tempers things slightly is just that this is kind of last chance saloon as he sees it. If he gets, you know, injured again or he just has a problem which is inhibiting him on the bike, because clearly that at a rotation arm bone was doing, then I think that will probably be it. I just hope he doesn't have a you know a silly crash or an unfortunate crash and go down and do himself some damage because that's not what we need. I'm really surprised that he's doing it, but let's see how the weekend goes. I mean, is there anything else to say, Jim? It was just shock breaking news mm. today and it just fitted in well with our plan to have this discussion. I don't know what else to say, really. I'm I'm very curious just to see how it goes. I mean, I am going to be tuned into free practice one. Uh, usually I don't really am not really tuned into the free practice sessions, but I, I want to see what he's doing. I think he knows that he needs more time 
like I said, maybe he's going to treat this like a test session. Try to find a setting. Try to give HRC a direction of where to go. Because, you know, if, if you see the pictures of Mark and you look at his left arm and you compare it to his right arm, his right arm is visibly smaller than his right. Not very, there's not a defined muscle, not a defined bicep in there at all. It's kind of withered, isn't it? Because just through yeah. lack of use and lack of training, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I know he can go to the gym. I know you can start lifting weights. I know you can put all of that on. I just don't think he's put enough on in the time being but you know if he gets there and he's and he can't do it and he's not competitive i really hope that someone at hrc puts the bug in his ear like look you don't have to do this go do 10 laps we'll put some settings in the bike we'll do 10 more laps or whatever, you know, or just do 10 laps and pull in if you have to. Yeah. I hope that he respects the pain threshold that he has and and doesn't do anything silly because to be this close and then lose him forever over something silly is going to really hurt. Yeah. As you say, I think a lot of this comes down to the people around him and just kind of saying, Mark, we're not going to get anywhere this weekend. There's nothing to be gained. There's a great deal potentially to be lost. I mean, just one last thing to say, you know, Aragon at this time of year can be quite cold and misty, which means means coldish dampish track conditions i hope in that circumstance people will just be saying just wait you're not looking for poles you're not looking for well he's obviously looking for wins but let's say that he's not likely to win this weekend so hopefully he just doesn't push the envelope too far and just sort of eases himself back in to get one race weekend under his belt and then see where he goes for the rest of the season from there. But yeah, hopefully we'll hear from the listeners and see what people think about this one, because it's a pretty big news item. So moving on, Takanakagami gets another year, which I would talk class as a career reprieve at this stage certainly in MotoGP terms so he's staying on at LCR uh, in 2023 so given that Alex Rins is already confirmed in the other seat on the other side of the garage that means Ayagura is not going to move up which is slightly surprising so he presumably stays in Moto2 next year I guess perhaps somebody's in the back of their mind thinking that he's not looking terribly likely to win the championship in Moto2 this year but I would be fairly surprised if part of that deal doesn't involve him having a almost cast iron guarantee of coming up in 2024 on a Honda but again that's total speculation but Jim just purely on the development and ambition I think is the word I would use really on the part of Honda and HRC is that a surprising tactic for you should they not be getting a young rider on the bike to at least get a year's experience under his belt even if the bike isn't quite where they want it to be I think that if you put a young rider on a bad bike, you will do more damage to them than if you put a young rider on a decent bike. One, if you have a young rider that doesn't understand the limitation and they start going crazy and trying to ride harder to make up the deficit of the bike and they continue to crash, their confidence is going to go way down. Confidence is everything on a motorcycle and going fast. Now, Agura looks confident on a Moto2 bike. According to Crash.net, he wants to stay in Moto2 for another year to take another crack at it and to develop a little bit more, which it's better to be at the front riding at the front and learning your tactic and tire choice and those things than being on a MotoGP bike that isn't good enough right now. Honestly, if he's in a Honda, it's not good enough. So it's very, also very telling that Nakagami's is a 12-month contract. It's not a two-year deal. Yeah, it absolutely. is a 12-month. Look, he's going to be there at LCR in 2024. That's where Agura is going to be. I think that the Honda and the bigwigs there all know that this kid is going to be the future MotoGP star that they think or hope or at least a very competent Japanese rider yeah. that can have podiums, maybe the occasional win kind of a thing. Aragura's got that in him I believe. Is he going to rip off championships in MotoGP? Eh, I haven't seen enough of Agura to say that he can do it. 
I'm not going to say that he can't. Anything's possible. But if you've got Quattro writing like he is, you've got uh, Pecco and Bastianini writing like they are, I don't see Agura being at their level or pace. And especially if the Honda isn't working. So fine, leave him in Moto2. Let's sort the bike out, figure this all out. Because there isn't a place for him to go into the factory team until the end of 2024. Yeah. Mir's contract is over at 2024. So is Marquez's. So at that point, Honda can make a decision. Mir may want to walk. He may want to get out of there. They may then just move him to that point. Who knows? Renz may get a shot at the factory bike if he seems to do well on the LCR. So I think it's more of a cover all bases kind of a contract. It sort of fills it in. Yep, we got this. We can get Renz up to speed on a bike. We can make a bike better, have a better bike. So I think it's the correct thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a stopgap measure. I'm not altogether convinced, and this is me going a bit conspiracy theory now, which is normally your territory, but... um... (laughs) I'm not altogether convinced that Agira definitely wants to stay in Moto2 next year because I think all these guys want to get up to MotoGP just as soon as they possibly can. But I'm sure there's a a degree of towing the company line on that one and not complaining too much and certainly not to the world's media and press. But it kind of makes a bit of sense. And I kind of like the idea that people get a couple of years in each or in the feeder categories anyway, just to, as you say, Jim, kind of learn their craft really and certainly Moto2 is a much better learning area now than it used to be under the old 600cc Honda engine formula because they obviously they've got the more electronics on the bikes now so there's more setup work so it is more relevant in that sense so yeah and we shouldn't forget actually that with Alex Rins joining the LCR team, I mean, he is a top-line rider. And from everything that I've ever read and heard about Alex Rins, I mean, he is a well-renowned development rider as well and is attributed with having done a lot of the good work that brought the Suzuki to where it was before the bombshell news dropped there. And, you know, they've sort of steadily declined ever since, haven't they? So hopefully, potentially with a fit Mark Marquez back and with Alex Rins over on the LCR bike, hopefully they can make some progress on that Honda should Aguirre come up the following season. Yeah, that's interesting. I just quickly looked. Aguirre is 21 years old. I thought he was 19, really, to be honest with you. So I was off by a couple of years. Right. Yeah, maybe he, maybe I, there is something to your conspiracy theory there. Maybe he really should move because this is his second year in Moto 2. Yeah, you never know. I mean, the, the big wigs at Honda can look at it and say, we just don't have a motorcycle for him. Yeah. Also, I think there's a bit of that culture thing. I think that they respect Nakagami for what he's done. And I think they want to give him that one last hurrah. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't hear somewhere early on next year that this that Nakagami is going to say, well, this is my last year mm. kind of a thing. And he gets to take the victory lap, if you will. Yeah. So. As you say, I mean, the fact that it was very clearly stated as being a 12-month contract is tells you everything that you need to know. That's it, unless you can find another seat somewhere else. So, talking about another, well, potential, but almost certain refugee in terms of MotoGP, Remy Gardner, this is a rumour, I believe. I don't think anything is confirmed yet, but he is strongly tipped now to be heading over to World Superbike, which I'm personally very, very pleased about, because I would not have wanted to see him drop back down to Moto2. Does it mean he's won the championship? So that would be, I think, a bit of a backward step. So it looks very likely that he is going to join the GRT Yamaha squad in World Superbike. Now, I said in the show last week, and I was I listened back to the, the show when I was having my long drive to and from Snetterton Gym, and I was running my mouth a bit last week, and I want to apologise a little bit to the listeners, because I think I probably went a bit too far in certain regards. But I made the point, I think not too controversially with regards to World Superbike, that you really want to be on the Pata Yamaha, the KRT Kawasaki team, or the Works Ducati squad. Now, GRT is a slightly second division squad, but I think they are very well supported, and it looks as if there well both of their riders are probably going to be moving on but one of which is Garrett Gerloff who will be close to your heart Jim 
He's rumoured to be going over to the sort of, again, semi sort of works BMW squad, which we'll come to a little bit later on. So it looks like Remy might slot in there uh, and Garrett gets a fresh challenge, which I think is probably something that he needs, isn't it? I think so. I think he definitely needs to move from where he is. It's like, it's more, like you said, as far as spec of equipment, it's a lateral move, but it's just a different place. So I think it's probably better for him to do that than to be where he is. But with Remy, I agree with you. I do not want to see him back in Moto2. Uh, There is bad blood in that paddock right now. Well, I don't know if you follow the Twitter saga of this, but Wayne was tweeting out all kinds of bad things about Remy's manager. Yeah. And then it got to the point where Remy tweeted out that he had full faith in his manager or whatever. So I don't know if Wayne got himself on a bender and just (laughs) was going on some drunk tweets or what was happening there. But there is a disconnect in here somewhere that we just don't know yet. And you know, maybe it's one of these things where Remy needs to just, I hate to say it, but get away from his dad, maybe. Yeah. And maybe, I... and maybe from the manager he has right now. Yeah. Just, I mean, a clean slate, kind of one of these things like, dad, I love you. I, know, I appreciate everything you did for me, but hey, I got to do this on my own. And I don't want to say grow up, but that's the only way I can think of it. You know, stand on your own two feet may probably the better way of what I'm trying to say. Yes. And if, and if he gets over to World Superbike, he puts in some consistent rides. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, he has the possibility of moving to one of the coveted factory spots. I mean, we know, I think we're pretty sure Top Rack wants to be in MotoGP, but we also know that Quattro has a contract to 2024. Morbidelli's out of contract at the end of next season. So, I mean, there, there could be some movement there. But yeah, I mean, I think we touched on how unedifying the whole kind of KTM, Gardner, Paco Sanchez, I think, is his manager. And then with Wayne sort of hurling himself into the fold through Twitter as well. So, I mean, the problem is, is it kind of gives credence to KTM's position, which is that there's some rather unprofessional things going on around the edges. Uh, and so that hasn't been very helpful, I think, for Remy's cause. And I think he is probably pretty much the most innocent party in all of this. But having said all of that, I think, you know, look at Remy. He's kind of looks like the sort of the surfer dude guy, doesn't he? Uh, quite a free spirit. I think he'll actually really, really enjoy life in the World Superbike paddock. It's a much freer, friendlier place, I think. Think much less corporate, probably a bit less or a lot less backstabby as well. So I think he might really find a, a home that he loves there. And it might, perhaps it will encourage him to give it a good few seasons and see if he can win that championship. Because I think he'll be good on a super bike and jumping from the MotoGP bike to a super bike. Similar size bikes. Okay, he's going to think, bloody hell, this thing's slow by comparison. But he'll get used to that. And hopefully he'll be a bit happier uh, and his dad will calm down a little bit. Moving on to the next one. This, again, is not a big surprise, but Luca Marini is confirmed. I think this came out yesterday, perhaps. So he was confirmed at VR46. I think um, I read somewhere that both Marini and certainly Bezecchi already had two-year deals anyway. It's just that it had never been announced that it was a two-year deal. So they were really just sort of confirming that they are staying on in position. And I just wanted to correct. I can't remember if it was you or me that said it last week, Jim, but we were kind of talking about what specker bikes they run in the Mooney vr46 squad i think it was me i was speculating it because i was trying to think what year bike there were to try to get an idea of how comparable to where they were against the other ducatis well i was listening again because i was so, spent so much time in the car uh at the weekend which i'll come to uh, i was listening to a couple of other podcasts and it just happened to come up in that conversation so it kind of confirmed that marini is actually on a 2022 full works spec bike this year whereas bezecchi he's actually on a 2021 ducati which let's be fair is <laughs> a pretty good bike if uh mm-hmm. a bastion his performances are anything to go by in terms of what happens next year that might be interesting because whether Ducati have the resources I don't imagine it's necessarily a funding issue 
It's probably more whether Ducati can get yet another 2023 spec bike out onto the grid, given that they've got the work squad. Both Pramac riders are on full up-to-date works bikes as well. So for Mooney VR46 to then also run two bikes, which are bang up-to-date and current, is probably becoming a bit of a stretch. But they are going to have a problem now because Vizeki's had a pretty good year, given that he's a rookie. He's been on the podium this year and no doubt wants some slightly more up-to-date equipment. Yeah, I would want that. But what does your contract say? Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but contracts are made to be broken. Someone's got to replace Zarco at some point. I mean, Zarco can't ride forever. I mean, quite honestly, Zarco has great starts to the season, but Zarco doesn't seem to be consistent and stay at the front. As the season goes on, Zarco goes backwards and then he puts in weird qualifying laps to get him to the front, but then only to go back <laughs> in there. I mean, it's been that way for like the last two, three years, roughly. For or Zarco. fall off when in the lead. Or fall off within the lead. So if you're Ducati, you may want to get Bez on a better bike. Maybe you have him on the 2022 bike, the full 22 works bike and that gets him like you know one year behind instead of two and you see how he's going and you're like oh okay you know maybe we move it up or you know depending on how mooney comes if grassini were to fall off with who they have riding next year that's a very realistic thing that Crescini may not be as good a team because bastianini has been the one who's been making the team look good yeah. so maybe uh, vr46 mooney kind of jumps over the guys at Grissini and they get a little better equipment and Grissini gets sort of the more hand-me-down bikes. It's going to be interesting to see what Ducati does. But that's speculative. Yeah, complicated. And we'll never it's know. It's complicated. We'll never know, <laughs> for sure. Rossi's Italian. <laughs> Ducati's Italian. You got to think that they are that they will do what they need to do to make Rossi happy. As you said before, Rich, Rossi's sitting with all the cars. I mean, he's got a full house king's high. That's how I look at it. It's hard to beat that hand, right? If you play poker, you know, that's a hard hand to beat. Yeah. Because if if he doesn't get what he needs at Ducati, he can easily walk over Yamaha and go, guys, how about a satellite team with two factory works bikes? You don't think Yamaha wouldn't jump on that one? Well, I think I was saying in the last show. That's what you were saying. Pretty sure that that's definitely a negotiation card, if nothing else. And I'm sure Yamaha will want to have two more bikes back on the grid before too much longer because, they, frankly, they need them for development. I agree. So we'll see. That's kind of the MotoGP news. We've got a fair bit of Superbike stuff that I would quickly want to rattle into, although this must not turn into a two-hour show, Jim. No, we cannot let that happen. Deliberately decided we were going to do this to keep it nice and short. But happily, well, just to go against what I said, happily we haven't had any announcements from Dorna that they've signed any memorandums of understanding with North Korea uh, or Iran <laughs> this week. So that's good news that hasn't happened. Just before we head over to Superbike, Jim, any predictions? What do you think's going to happen at Aragon? Any predictions on winners or podiums? Bastianini wins. Um, Pecco is second. Mm -hmm. And then I think Quattraro has got enough to be third. Okay. It might be a long way, long way off of it, but I think he's got enough to be third. I'm going to go... And Marquez retires after about 15 laps. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, I'll just throw that out there. All right. I'm going to go with a podium. We don't normally do this, but as we're doing a pre-race weekend show, we can indulge. I'm going to go Bagnai, Bastianini, Vinales for the podium. I like that. So we'll catch up on this. We'll see who's right. Early to middle part of next week. Lay something on me about Marquez. Does he go the distance? Does he uh, only get 10 laps? What does he get? Does he even start? I mean, that's okay, uh, yeah, another, add that in there. another possible. But hopefully he'll have a, a safe and uh, steady weekend, let's say. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So 
just very quickly because we won't spend too much time on this but world superbike wow magni cool. i mean three brilliant races if anybody hasn't seen them you really need to tune into those because again we had at various stages rasgati oglu johnny ray and alvaro bautista absolutely slugging it out with each other and i'm very happy to report again from slightly with a british bias it's true but i'm very happy to report that scott redding and that bmw are starting to make some serious progress still suffering a little bit with tire life and making it full race distance particularly in the long races maybe they need a calyx swing arm well they have a calyx <laughs> swing arm well thank you jim yeah you're being pithy um <laughs> yeah I was, I was trying yes that is clearly working and bringing them the tire life that they have sadly lacked the bike looks powerful i mean it doesn't appear to be necessarily a you know brute horsepower issue yeah they've had some issues with clutches which i think they're addressing with third party solutions as well and I don't know what they're doing with their electronics, but Scott Redding is making progress and is looking like a much, much happier person on that bike. So that is good in all sorts of ways, primarily because we don't just want to see the same three people on the podium all the time. But having said that, we didn't see all three people on the podium all the time this weekend because between them, Johnny Ray and Toprak managed to, quite on their own, chuck themselves up the road and interfere with their own race results. But the really sort of controversial one, and I sent you the link to this earlier on, Jim, and I know you've had a look at it. So on Sunday afternoon, so what they call stupidly called race two, it's actually the third superbike race of the weekend. But race two Sunday, I think either on lap one or two, it's quite early in the race. Johnny Ray coming into the quite sort of tight and gnarly Chateau d'Eau, I think it is, corner, which is a sort of slow right-hander off the back of a very fast chicane. Um, Well, you saw it, Jim. He kind of came in, went for the undertake pass on Bautista, and they made contact. Now, that in of itself is not necessarily an unusual uh, happening. It's true. But the last little jink of the move that caused the contact has raised eyebrows and has certainly caused a bit of a war of words, which continue so you've seen it what's your take and i'll tell you what the ramifications have been okay so having watched it it is obvious that top rack is getting away and ray knows it ray knows he has to get past bautista so he's going for it and it just so happens he figures he's going to go in there for the block pass now by my look he started that lunge late because bautista definitely had a few bike lanes on so he was going to have to make up a large distance on the brakes going into that corner in fact ray left it so late that he would have gone through the corner because he wasn't going to be able to make the apex and not on the line that he was on and in fact his line got taken by the fact that bautista owned the corner because bautista was definitely half of a bike ahead of johnny ray at the time and was going for the apex he was on the correct line going there now the small jink that happens both right before the contact i think is johnny ray going to the front brake and lifts the back of the bike off the ground just that little bit and it caused him to because as you do that that energy that inertia will tend to make you want to go straight as opposed to continue in you're fighting newton's laws of motion there right objects in motion stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force ray's outside force of his body trying to go to the apex is not great enough to stop the bike from going straight until he hits bautista so ray in my opinion made a mistake left it too late definitely dive bombed the inside of bautista and made contact with him did ray do it intentionally no but ray knew he was in trouble by the way, he went for the front brake even harder from what I saw in the video. To me, that's a penalty and that's how it should be. So I'm not sure what the race stores have called. So fill me in. Am I close? Is that what they decided? Yeah, you're spot on. 
people are going to sort of rage about the analysis of what actually happened. What in terms of you know the steward's take on it, it was along that penalty, and he served along that penalty, and I think he came in at fifth in the end. The kind of the war of words kicked off more or less straight away. Johnny saying you know it wasn't intentional, it was a mistake. I personally agree with you, Jim. I mean Johnny Ray does not have a record of being a dirty rider. He has no past form of deliberately running into people or, or sort of nerfing people out of the way. He does have a record of extremely hard passes and in the context of World Superbike in the last couple of seasons and certainly definitely this season you know if you don't put a hard pass on you ain't getting past so I mean because it, it is that close at the front and that hard fought at the front so he and Toprak uh, came together in Assen that was a bit controversial uh, they both went down on that occasion so you could say that he's got a bit of form but I think it's just super super hard racing and when you race super hard these sorts of things will happen from time to time now Bautista has come out in the press to say that it was not a mistake he did it on purpose it's unacceptable riding behavior etc etc so that's kind of the outcome but long lap penalty he served it it knocked him back a little bit so he got a long lap interruption yes an inconvenience it's uh, sorry inconvenience it did drop him back a bit uh i don't think he was going to win the race anyway because top prac was uh well into his stride by this point but yeah i mean again interested to know what people think uh hopefully people have seen at least some of the races again i thoroughly encourage people to try and go and find out if you possibly can and, and give them a watch because they were very very exciting and very good value for money yeah i think we gotta get towards uh let's go to moto america rich and then yeah we'll save it we'll save bsb for the end so I'll, okay. I'll take the Moto yeah, America. Yeah, take us through Moto America. So uh, the jersey this weekend, Jake Gagne came in leading the series by one point over Danilo Petrucci. The first Superbike race was dry on Saturday and Gagne did wind up beating Petrucci in that first race. In fact, Petrucci struggled here mightily with the Ducati because Cameron Peterson and Matthew Schultz shared the podium with Gagne. Yeah. Petrucci was fourth. Petrucci was saying that, you know, we knew this track was bad. It's very bumpy, tight, bumpy, very low grip, very difficult to get the Ducati to actually work on that surface. So a fourth place was probably about as best as what Dan Lowe could hope for. At that point, it was like the gap had opened up to like a 13 or 14 point lead, something of that nature. They might have been 11 points. I'm sorry. I think it was 13 points. It was mm-hmm. 13 points that the gap was at Saturday. Sunday was a completely different day. Rain had moved in. Patricia's been doing a rain dance, I think, at every <laughs> one of these events. I think he was rain dancing really hard at Pittsburgh. However, it wasn't enough. There was a dry race. It was only a morning shower. I saw this on my own when we were there. Petrucci is head and shoulders above everybody on wets. Head yeah. and shoulders. I mean, by a wide margin. And he proved that in Pittsburgh. And he, what was a pretty much a torrential downpour of it was raining pretty hard there. Petrucci ran off to get the win in the second race, and Gagne stayed upright. He had everything to lose and nothing to gain, so he stayed up. He got gifted third place at the end to be on the podium, but now he is only seven points, I think, is the difference now between Petrucci and Gagne for the Superbike title. And it all comes down to Barber, which is about nine days away, and I will be there for that final event to see who takes the championship. I'm excited to go, excited to be there it's going to be interesting yeah so that was super bikes now super sports the other class i think is really pretty good in moto america just because of the difference of bikes that they have in there you can have a 900 ducati twin you can have a 600 yamaha you can have older gsxr 750s with a motec kit 
Yeah, you know, there, it's pretty. There's a pretty good little variation of bikes that's there. Anybody running a Triumph? To your uh, knowledge? I do not. To my knowledge, no one has a Triumph. They're okay. either a Ducati, a Kawasaki, Yamaha, or old Suzuki 750s. Gotcha. The, okay. But in the first Super Sport race, Josh Hayes won that race on a Yamaha. I think Josh is like 42 years old. Wow. And <laughs> beating the kids, Josh Aaron would finish second, which then clinched the Super Sport title for Josh. So he has won the championship there. So that's done. Interestingly, Rocco Landers would finish third in that first race. Now you go to Sunday, you have all of the rain and everything. And of course, just to prove that, you know, the first one wasn't a fluke, Josh Hayes wins the second super sport race. And, you know, he did it by 10 seconds, which is like a lifetime. So Josh Hayes was definitely moving, but it was really mixed up after that because it was Mesa and Smith that took the podium with him. Uh, Heron would be fourth on there. And then uh, Rocco Landers, I believe he had a, I think he had a crash. He's like one lap down. And you know, remount it for that. So that's how everything's settled up there. So we are looking forward to a Petrucci Gagne shootout at Barber. I have not looked at the extended forecast to see what the weather is going to be like in Barber in nine days' time. But if we can look here real quick and just see if we can come just up. Just for some. people of a non-American and perhaps not so familiar with Moto America, so Barber's down in Birmingham, Alabama. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's to it's yeah. just to yeah, it's just to the outside of it. And a super quick course. I mean, I'm I very much like to go to that track one day perhaps i'll join you in the rv one year if we can well, sort, we'll sort it out that looks like a, it's a really cool track i remember when it first came on the scene i think neil hodgson was still riding the ducati at that point so that is a track i suspect that well i mean gagne is going to go well though that's a given but i think oh, it's yeah. probably going to suit Petrucci on the Ducati as well pretty well it's smooth enough that I don't think it should be a problem so the prediction as it stands right now probably due to change is that Friday is partly cloudy in 85 that Saturday uh, is 87 and sunny and Sunday is partly cloudy and 85 so but it is going to be relatively cold it's going to be in the 60s when we wake up in the morning mm. so uh, cold track I'm not too sure I'm not sure how grippy the track is there at Barber but uh, it will be interesting to watch this play out yeah i did watch the the two superbike races at new jersey and yeah pretty tricky track i mean quite a lot of elevation there all, all kind of humps and jumps in places wasn't there so yeah fair play to petrucci for pulling in the win on the sunday in the wet i mean that took some doing just really sort of goes to show what a mastery is in the wet yeah so just to quickly wrap this up a couple of things so bsb as i mentioned on last week's show i made in british terms the enormous road trip jim Took me five hours on Friday to oh, get there. How did you survive? Did you Imagine have to take that. snacks? <laughs> did you have some crisps with you? I did have to stop from McDonald's halfway oh. because it should have taken me three and a half hours and took me nearly five because of traffic. But there you go. Ooh. That's uh, that's the way it goes on a Friday and, and on British roads sometimes. Snetterton, you know, it's a great track. It's run by Dr. Jonathan Palmer and his MSV group. I, I mentioned them from time to time. They own several of the tracks around the UK. Brilliantly run, very sort of clean and tidy. The grass around the track is properly mown before the event you know details but they matter and it so it looked great very enjoyable to be at the braces themselves weren't necessarily barnstormers in terms of action but the headline news really was that brad ray on the rich energy yamaha omg team 
for the first time in his career, in fact, uh, in BSB, did the treble. So we do three races over the course of a Bishish Superbike weekend. So he goes into the showdown now. So Snetterton was the end of what in BSB is the kind of the regular season. So we have three rounds, nine races remaining, and we now go into the showdown. So that means that the top eight in the regular season, and I'll just quickly nip through them in a second, but they now have their points adjusted. They, we have this, for me, slightly confusing system where through the course of the year you get podium credits obviously if you finish on the podium and that then adjusts upwards your new tally as you go into the showdown period so they instantly go up to a thousand points i think everybody and then your podium credits are added on to differentiate those that have done better during the regular season so it's a little bit confusing in that regards but anyway what it means is Brad Ray is going to be leading and he is on 1,061 points. Then he's followed in second place in the table by Jason O'Halloran. He's on 1,048. So it's, it's, it's pretty close. I mean, everybody's got a strong chance as we go forward. Then you've got Mackenzie in third on 1,031. Glenn Irwin, Lee Jackson, Kyle Ride, Rory Skinner and Tommy Bridewell on the Ducati. So there's eight people this year. They've changed it from six to eight people in the showdown. So Bridewell, who's kind of in last place, on that scoring system. He's on 1,008. And they still now go forward and score regular 25 for a win, 20 for second, et cetera, et cetera. So plenty of scope for people to kind of recover their showdown position. Even Bridewell could win the championship from there. So yeah, we will be at Alton Park on the 23rd to the 25th of September. Same weekend, actually, that um, Barber is happening in Moto America, Jim. So we'll see how things start to move forward there. There was just one thing to mention in terms of BSB at Snetterton, which was slightly interesting. And that is that in race three, so the final race on Sunday afternoon. Why is it always the last race of the afternoon? I know. It's funny that, isn't it? People, I suppose people just uh, decide that it's all to go for <laughs> in the final race of the day. But uh, I'm trying to think. One of the riders had to pull off with an engine issue. Uh, it was Storm Stacy on the Kawasaki. That precipitated a relatively brief safety car. But on the restart, what happened, this kind of is a little bit of an interesting brief talking point, hopefully. Taz McKenzie, who was in the lead, followed by Glenn Irwin and Brad Ray at this point, let's say misjudged the restart and he actually overturned took the safety car before the safety car had gone beyond the designated line as it goes back into the pits and the race goes green again. Now, fair enough. So McKenzie was responsible for that because he was leading the pack and he would then get a two-second penalty, I think, and two penalty points on his license. But the slightly controversial part of it was that him going when he went caused Glenn Irwin and Brad Ray and everybody behind to go as well. But it was McKenzie, Irwin and Ray that actually infringed the safety car as they passed. Everybody behind them was just far enough behind the safety car that they didn't trigger the kind of like a jump start, I suppose. So race direction gave all three riders a two second penalty to be served post-race and certainly Glenn Irwin was saying look what was I supposed to do wait you know and let other people overtake me Mackenzie went I had to follow him it was his mistake why am I getting a penalty what do you think Jim I mean I hopefully I've explained what happened yeah so let me see if I got this yeah just just so I got it clear yeah the pace car is exiting to the pit lane yes and there's a certain point at which you have to wait until you can accelerate your bike and then proceed past assuming that the safety car needs to be like fully in the pits or at least completely off the racing circuit before you go yeah so it's sort of the same way like car racing is here in america you can't safety car accelerates ahead goes in the pit lane and you can't go anywhere until the green goes and yeah okay so mckenzie screws up or mistimes it the jump so he's ahead of the safety car they penalize him and the two guys behind him as well 
Yeah, because they go with him. As soon as he goes, they go. And in doing that, they also just about infringe the safety car rule. Whereas the people behind mm. them are just, you know, like a, a, I don't know, a hundredth or a thousandth of a second to the good. So they don't get the penalty. Wow. So oh. they're saying it's a little bit like, I suppose, the argument that might happen that if somebody jumps the start, somebody behind might be looking at them and jump the start too, because they're not looking at the lights. They're just reacting to what another bike is doing. Or sometimes like a rider falls off in front of you and you fall off as well in sympathy, they often say, because you're kind of just reacting acting to what's going on around you so yeah this created a little bit of a spat in the pit lane huh. post-race because uh, you know Irwin felt a bit aggrieved to get that penalty given that they weren't the primary perpetrator of the offense I think that was the position that's just an interesting that's interesting I mean I really yeah. I can I can see the I can see it you there is a rule you broke the rule because I've always thought with jump starts you know if you tried to there was always gamesmanship and dirt track and whatnot but if you jump and nobody else did or if somebody went with you they went to the penalty line too right because you're responsible for your bike and what you're doing you're, you're supposed to be watching the lights or watching the flag or whatever it is it's that's on you if anybody else moves or flinches and that light isn't green that's not you don't go yeah so that one's a little weird that, i mean I, that i get i understand and using that logic i understand them being penalized i'm not so sure the other guys get anything to say i mean i get where bradley ray is, is saying that you know what am i supposed to do wait for everybody to go by me but i guess the point of the matter is if they would have not accelerated McKinsey would have been gone and then what that would have been what would race direction have done because I'm assuming the penalty would have been the same regardless well they wouldn't have been able to get make up let's say a five second gap that may have been created by them waiting when McKinsey had left when McKinsey took off so I get their take on that that's a really weird one I'm not sure how I would call that one it's tricky I mean Stuart Higgs who's the brilliant brilliant race director very rarely makes a poor call and I'm definitely not suggesting that you made a poor call on this one as he was saying it's a line in the rule book if you infringe it it's a penalty you know and there's not really any subjective leeway around it that was his position fair enough the riders felt a bit aggrieved I can't recall quite how much it shook up the final standing certainly Brad Ray was able to get out and get far enough ahead that even with the two second penalty it didn't stop him from winning the race so it was all kind of relatively fair and even I suppose at the end Uh, but that's what I'm thinking is that there was a rule and he applied it to everybody who actually broke the rule. The people who were in fourth, fifth, sixth didn't break that rule. Therefore, they are not penalized. So I I, I guess say it's a good call by yeah. Stuart. Again, if anybody's got a strong opinion on it, let us know. You know where to write into us. Just two very quick final things, just in terms of championships that were decided. Johnny Garness uh, was crowned the British Talent Cup champion. Interestingly, he's staying on next year. He's not got anywhere really to go, I suppose, or doesn't want to move up to one of the next formulas up. So as I understand it, he's going to be in British Talent Cup again next year to defend the title in 2023. Now, he rides for the Michael Laverty Vision Track kind of academy team. Mm. Uh, so this is the, the feeder series for up to Moto3, where we've got Scott Ogden and Josh Watley at the moment in full-blown Moto3. They also have a team running in the CIV in Spain, I think, as well, or Michael Laverty does. Johnny Garness, uh, taking absolutely nothing away from him. I mean, he has been stellar all year. He is a very small kid, though. So, I mean, he does tuck in and he doesn't have a huge amount of weight to carry around on the bike as some of the others do. But like a young teenager, he's starting to grow. So it's going to be interesting with another few inches on, you know, on the height and so on and a couple of kilos perhaps on the weight. How it'll fare next year. So that would be an interesting back-to-back to watch. Somebody that's been there, seen it, done it, done the T-shirt, the book, the whole kind of thing is Jack Kennedy. He was crowned for the fourth time, making him, I think, the most successful uh, British super sport champion at the weekend. So yeah, four up for Jack Kennedy. And again, has been pretty much unbeatable all year. So fair play to him. 
So I think that was pretty much it with BSB, Jim. Yep, I think that covers it. So it's very much all to play for in BSB. And I will, although we've got a lot of MotoGP coming up and still quite a lot of rounds with World Superbike to keep an eye on, I will take a very close interest now that we're into the showdown in BSB in terms of what happens over the next three rounds. We've got Alton Park, Donington Park, and then the season rounds out in Brands Hatch, best track in the country. I'll tell you, if Bradley Ray on the Bridge Energy Yamaha wins, we, we must have Dave Neal on and congratulate him. Yes. And I must say a quick thanks to Dave, actually. I was at Snetterton uh, staying with my wife's cousin uh, and his little lad, Elijah, who's six years old. First time he's ever been to a bike race. As you can imagine, there was a lot of energy and excitement there. And Dave very kindly snuck us into the pit garage just after the morning warm up. So Elijah got a little photo, sat on Kyle Ride's motorbike and got to hold Brad Ray's winner's trophy from the previous day. So, yep, Dave you made a little ad's day on that one so thank you very very much indeed and yes as you say Jim we must get Dave on at some point to chat us through what he's up to and uh, looks like he's having a rare old time in the BSB paddock and fair play to him so I think that's pretty much us for now just to round up the news and the goings on and very much looking forward to MotoGP Aragon and the return of the number 93 so guys, there's an opportunity for you to help veterans here uh, in the U.S. in the military to get dogs to help with their PTSD. And you can do that by having fun, which means you can take your car to the track. It's going to be at Summit Point Raceway, the Shenandoah Circuit, in October 22nd. If you want more information, you can go to Rally for Vets. That's Rally, R-A-L-L-Y, from the number 4vets.com. Or you can listen to Mr. Robert Hess explain exactly what a track day will be like there. Take away, Robert. Hello everyone, my name is Robert Hess and I lead a veteran charity that is hosting a new track series supporting veterans coping with PTSD. The format is a track cross, like a time trial, but with just one car running on the track at a time. Our next event is the Top Dog Championships scheduled for Summit Point's Shenandoah Circuit on October 22nd. Registration is open on motorsportreg.com. Just search for Top Dog Track Cross. I hope you join us and finish as a Devon Top Dog Champion while you help our veteran community. Robert, thank you so much for telling us all about the event. Hopefully uh, some of the guys will be able to go there and have fun. As that's the end of the show, I'll say it. I want everybody to ride safe. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.